The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 124. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Brave hearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bethanelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 10th Doctor story, Utopia. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? So, folks, as usual, I want to remind you to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook. We have a Facebook page where we have a great community of people who contribute to their comments and uh, and share our episodes to their friends and hopefully gather new uh, listeners to the Secrets of Doctor Who, and we appreciate that. And also, if you can, to follow us on Twitter. We're at SQPN, where you can also retweet our episodes and give us comments and feedback that we could share on the show. So we would greatly appreciate it if you did that. Uh, also, uh, I want to remind you that we have a, a second show that the three of us do called the Secrets of Star Trek. Now that the season of Star Trek Discovery is over, a lot of people aren't watching it. They're not subscribed to CBS All Access or for various reasons. They prefer not to watch it, uh, which is fine. Uh, but now that that season's over, we're going to be returning to talking about uh, classic, classic Star Trek. Trek. Yes, uh, with all the seasons, all the series uh, from the original series, the animated series, all the way up through Enterprise. Doesn't that look good now to some of you? Some of you people who didn't like Enterprise, but now you've seen Discovery, you don't really like Discovery. So we'll be talking about Enterprise. <laughs> uh, and of course, when new se- series come out, which they are, the Picard series, the Section 31 series, we'll be talking about those in the future. But right now we're talking about Classic Trek. We've got some great episodes lined up. Uh, we have a, a two-parter on from uh, Deep Space Nine. We have some- Which is the best of the series, in yes. my humble opinion. I, I think we're all agreed exactly. that DS9 is the best. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Next Generation coming up. So it's all to remind you to go to uh, sqpn.com slash trek and check it out uh, and recommend it to friends if they, if they are interested in listening to a couple of the two of us talk about Star Trek. So uh, let's talk about Doctor Who uh, at this moment. So we're talking about Utopia, which is the first of the last three episodes <laughs> Ooh, I thought it was an allegorical novel by St. Thomas More. Oh, we're oh, we're, I prepared for the wrong thing. Sorry. Uh, oh, darn it. <laughs> no, this is the first of the last three episodes of the third season of uh, the new Doctor Who, the renewed Doctor Who. It's essentially the regenerated Doctor Who. The re- thank you. Yes, it's essentially a the first part of a three-parter, although te- technically, according to the production notes, it was an independent script. But it does end on a to-be-continued, so... It's a three-parter. It's a three-parter. Yes. Uh, and it features the return of the Master, which is the first time we're going to see the Master in the revival of Doctor Who, the 2005 revival of Doctor Who. So that's a big deal. We're coming to the end, toward the end of Martha Jones's tenure on the show as a regular companion. 
So we're we're starting that the beginning of that wrap up. Uh, we have the return of Captain Jack Harkness. It's uh, so it's what's the tenth, eleventh episode of this of this season. So we've had eleven episodes with Martha. Two to go. Two to go. That's right. I want to kind of talk about like how it opens, which is is it opens, it picks up from the end of the final of the season finale of that season of Torchwood, which is where Captain Jack, that character has been Um, at the very end of that episode. So that episode features the son of the beast, which is the beast from the Satan pit episode of Doctor Who uh, had been released from the Cardiff Rift. We remember the Cardiff Rift is this space-time rift in Roald Dahl uh, Plas in Cardiff, Wales, that figured in the Slothene, one of the Slothene episodes. Well, it, it, it got released from that, and it was rampaging through Cardiff, and it had killed Jack, and Jack killed it back because Jack can't be killed. He When he hears He's the like TARDIS... Kenny. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And so at the end of that episode, he hears the TARDIS, he, he grabs the Doctor's hand, which has been on the Torchwood episode season, it's been sitting on his desk. He grabs the doctor's hand and runs for this rolled uh plaza. Rolled doll. This is interesting. I've I've never seen. So I've never watched Torchwood. I've seen like I saw the Children of Earth Torchwood thing or something like that that had um, Peter Capaldi in it. But other than that, I've never really seen Torchwood. So I didn't I didn't know until just now that that's where the doctor's hand had been all this time. Yes. Yes. In fact, that's well, that's. I went back and watched it because I have not been a Torchwood watcher myself. And maybe someday I will. I've had friends who've watched it and were not. They didn't find it as good as Doctor Who for, for their for their mm-hmm. point of view. But it, I thought it was interesting to to find that, you know, that it it rolls right into this and brings mm. Captain Jack with it uh, into, back into the, doc, the Doctor's TARDIS again. It's interesting because if you're. I mean, I hadn't seen this in some time, and the way it picks up if you're just a Doctor Who watcher, if you don't watch Torchwood, is, okay, here we're landing in Cardiff, and we've seen this place before, this is where they fought the Slitheen, and the Doctor's gonna do a pit stop to feed off the Cardiff Energy Rift, and here comes Jack running at the TARDIS frantically, out of nowhere, no context for this, and the Doctor takes off. To, to to deliberately to get away from Jack. And I'm going, why is the doctor trying to get away from Jack so much? It doesn't make any sense because they don't, they don't actually explain it. Yeah, they it, well, they kind of do later. But even then, it's like, it, OK, so the doctor is prejudiced against Jack because he's a living time, fixed point in time and doesn't want to be around a living fixed point in time, I guess. Well, the TARDIS doesn't either, because the Doctor also says the TARDIS tried to shake him off, and that's how they ended up at the end of the universe. Right, know? right. They, yeah, that was the other thing. That was So the TARDIS, uh, it, it, him jumping onto the outside, <laughs> riding the TARDIS from the outside. Has anyone, has that ever happened, happened before, someone on the outside of the TARDIS through the time vortex? I, I think Jack may be the first to, ri- other people have like been thrown out into the void. That happened as early as the second Doctor. <clears throat> There's a great episode where Peter, where uh, Patrick Troughton gets to play two parts. It's, it, I, I, I'm going to love it when we do it. It's called The Enemy of the World and he gets to play not only Patrick Troughton, but a lookalike world dictator named Salamander. And Salamander ends up getting thrown out into the void. But if, as I recall, if I recall correctly, yep. 
I think Jack, though, may be the first to ride on the outside of the TARDIS. He's definitely not the last because Clara does it later. Once we break that mold, then the, the writers have to go back to it uh, <laughs> again and again. <laughs> so they end up a hundred trillion years in the future. I mean, could we just does it have to be a hundred trillion? Could it be one trillion? No, a hundred doesn't. I don't I don't mind in this case. It's always the extremes. It's like we, we can't just have like a billion things. It has to be a hundred billion things or a hmm. hundred trillion things. Well, this this wasn't even written by Stephen Moffat, so we can't even blame that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I part of the reason and a hundred. I mean, they're talking about the end of the. This is the end of the world. They needed to actually build it up. Why it's the end a little more than they did. They taught. They alluded to the universe is coming apart. They alluded to all the stars have burned out. And actually, you do need to go. I, I forget the exact number, but I believe it is more than a trillion to get all the stars to burn out. There's going to be this really cool phase. Or there would be if Jesus didn't come back first. Um, but there there would be this really cool phase where, like, everything's become a neutron star or a black hole. And, like, you've got these green glowing neutron stars and stuff like that. And then they all go dark. And, and so this is this is like they're past that point. So I didn't mind the excessive number in this case. OK, OK. So maybe that does make sense. So after 100 trillion years. Humans still exist. Humans Yay. still exist. And not only that, they look <laughs> like human beings. But then the doctor comes and says, well, the humans are always evolving into other forms, clouds of gas and all these other things. But you always eventually revert to your, uh, you know, what we look form. like, classic form. I'm thinking that's that's really a strange, I mean, I suppose the intelligent, we, we have no frame of reference for how a, an intelligent creature would evolve over that span of time or any creature over that span of time. So apparently, apparently we would regret some of us would regress back into uh, meat eating barbarians with sharp teeth, cabalistic barbarians with sharp teeth. I, I took it as this is this is not natural evolution. This is deliberate chosen evolution that like people choose as a result of technology and bioengineering and transhumanism to become gas clouds for a million years. And then they decide, OK, now we're going to go back and do the classic human form. And at some point they they uh, that happened in conjunction with a fall of civilization. So they lost the technology to be anything else. And now they're in a relatively primitive state. I guess it's like you have bell bottom jeans come back. It's a trend, a fashion trend. Uh, that that will happen. <laughs> yeah. It hasn't so, already. Oh. Yes. And the future kind are a so a Mad Max version of that sort of uh, future human evolution. Actually, fashions, it's, it's, while we're talking about fashions, fashions have obey an interesting law. They um, they operate. It's kind of like a sine wave, but dress links can only go so short. And then they have to start getting longer again. And and um, an amount of facial hair can only get so short and then it has to start getting long again. And so you see these cyclical waves in history where people are heading in one direction. Typically, it's led by the elite. And then the sub elite imitates the elite, which then forces the elite to differentiate itself from the sub elite by changing again. And so that's what generates these. It's got to keep going in one direction until it starts moving in the other. And I, I, I would assume what we have here. So just like we had, I can I can remember in, you know, the 50s, 
if you predicted that 60 years later, guys would be having these Civil War length general beards, they would have thought you were crazy when everyone was clean shaven. Uh, <laughs> but it, it happens. And so I would assume that this is the biological equivalent of that, where we have uh, it's like, OK, let's go really primitive now. Let's get the meat back on. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and so the future kind and humans are the only species here. We also have um, this uh, species. Oh, I forget what they, what her species was, but we have it starts with an M. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the character's name Chantho. is Chantho. I have to say, I have I respect the actress for being able to c- pull off the whole starting every sentence with Chan and every ending every sentence with though. But man, that kind of gets annoying after a while. It did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was Malmuth. Malmuth is the name Malmuth. of her and, race. Okay. And they were the native species for this planet where the, as far as we know, the last of the humans are. Mm-hmm. Except maybe at the Utopia Project. Right. There may be another planet where there are more humans uh, in, a, in a Utopia that somehow will survive the end of the universe, maybe. Uh, and then we have the master, or well, we have Professor Yana. Played by Derek Jacoby. Yay! Derek Jacobi, a, a great actor. Uh, he's also played the War Master on Big Finish, uh, if you yes. don't know. He is, well, he is the War Master. Right. That would be this incarnation would be the War Master. He went through the same transformation that the doctor just had done in Human Nature, Family of Blood, where he has he's he's turned into a human genetically and has his memory stored in the uh, fob watch, uh, the, the, the pocket watch. Martha then recognizes he doesn't remember who he is and he appears human for all intents and purposes. Now, like I said, Derek Jacoby, besides being the war master. Is a famous actor. I mean, everyone. Yeah, record, you know, he was recognizes. Claudius and I Claudius. He's a really good actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He was in Dead Again, and uh, I forget the name of his character there, but that's a Kenneth Branagh Emma Thompson mystery. He is. He, I, I like the kind of subtlety and vulnerability that he brings to a part, and especially the master. He comes. He he's a reasonable master. He's still the master. He's still not on the side of good fully but he's he he can if you if you read or listen to the war master stuff that big finish has done with them and there's like two sets of that now they've got at least another two coming out and he's also appeared in other sets like he's in the most recent river song set so you get to see river and the war master together and and he comes across as he's he is the master he is a villain but he's a reasonable one he's not total gonzo bonkers crazy like the next two incarnations of the master right yeah, john <laughs> john sim chewing the scenery yeah i think it literally at one or, point or missy pop a balloon <laughs> yeah. yeah deranged mary poppins yeah exactly well and, and of course when we meet him of course the first time you watch this you have no idea he's the master yeah which is classic classic master intro yep kind of kindly a little bit aloof a little bit disorganized professor, basically, even though there hadn't been university in a thousand years or whatever they said. Apparently, uh, Derek Jacoby had, had long wanted to be on Doctor Who. He was a, it was a long time goal for him ever since the 60s. Finally nice. realized. He, he also, he did actually, it wasn't on screen exactly. Well, it wasn't live action, but he actually was on Doctor Who once before. He, he played the master in Scream of the Shalka, the animated oh. revival series that could have been until Russell T. Davies stomped on it. 
<laughs> interesting, interesting. By the by the way, I love the re I love some of the interaction between him and Chantho, where like he's making tea and he offers Chantho some tea and she says, Chan, I'm happy drinking my own internal milk though. <laughs> yeah. like, like, Thank you. That's quite enough information. And it's yeah. like what would that be like in human terms? It's like, thank you. I'm I'm happy drinking my own spit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or yeah, doesn't bear thinking too much about. <laughs> no. For being so far in the future, the the human technology what we see on display here is pretty backward. I mean, we're they're carrying around AK forty seven, you know, rifles. It's it, uh, you know the the computers are, pretty, you know, twentieth century stuff i mean the technology is somewhat backwards here so they've regressed some uh except there's this rocket that the professor is trying to get running the last humans here on this planet try are getting ready to evacuate on to this utopia yeah so a thousand years ago the government whatever set up project utopia to find a way to escape the death of the universe and now they've gotten a signal saying come to utopia which could be a signal they found a way to do it does that ever get resolved? Is Utopia... Not on screen, maybe in some tie-in media. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting open end that they leave in this, because that whole that whole thread of this story gets hijacked, gets just dropped when the master is revealed. And so we don't know is if there actually is a real Utopia, if they found a way to survive the end of the universe, if there's, uh, you know, if the, if this rocket ever gets here. We also don't know why the why the master is helping these people. Well, it does it does kind of play out later. We do find out what happens to these people later in the three-parter. Oh. Hmm. Okay. okay, I don't remember that. They become the orbs, the killer orbs. The taco oh, thing. Oh, yeah. right, right. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. It's been a long time since since I've watched that. Yeah. So we will talk more about it later, but you know, after they take off, they end up at some point being turned into these killer orbs by them or get turned into these killer orbs and the master uses them. And then it looks like it gets undone eventually. So they don't have the unhappy face fate of being killer orbs. <laughs> so the doctor says here that the time Lords have never been to the end of the universe, which is interesting. And you know, while they're there, they should just, they should go outside and take a look. <laughs> so they, yeah. they, they walk out into this quarry somewhere in Wales at night, uh, which is, <laughs> Which uh, presumably where this is. I didn't look it up. Where did the, the doctor? Uh, I was just going to ask about uh, the Doctor Jack. Where the doctor last saw Jack? Oh, it was in Departing of the Ways. Okay, when at the Battle of Bad Wolf, there when yeah. he was left for dead at, on the on the station there. Yes, he just left Jack, who we saw off camera regenerate. Well, not regenerate, but come back to life, which the doctor did not see. Okay, so he didn't know that he that he was still alive. But here it's implied that he knew. Right. Mm -hmm. I would guess that as the head of Torchwood, you know, the, or the or whatever the whatever Torchwood part that Jack is in charge of, that the doctor might have got wind of that. Maybe that Jack was involved. Well, he's he's surprised in the next episode because I, I watched it and it could just because of the cliffhanger. Oh, let's keep watching. And actually, he learns for the first time in in the next episode that Jack is part of Torchwood and he is not happy because up to now his he's had bad experiences with Torchwood. Right. 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 I would if I had to headcanon it, I would assume that because the doctor absorbed the the, the vortex energy from Rose that at that moment when he absorbed the vortex energy, he learned that the vortex energy had reanimated Jack. 
and made him a fixed point in time. Then the the Jack and the Doctor, uh, they celebrate over the fact that Rose is still alive and Martha gets that look. Yeah. <laughs> the, the jealous look. Then they catch up when Jack, where Jack has been. I, I like how in this episode we have three people who are like, are fancy someone who has no idea they exist because right. Martha has it for the doctor. Chantho has it for the master and, or for professor Yana. And, uh, and it turns out Jack also has it for the doctor. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and then you have Martha and Jack uh, kind of talking about how the doctor has its habit of abandoning them. And then the doctor explodes, you know, kind of gets mad at them. He explodes at them. And he's sort of a, obviously a sore spot for the doctor this this habit he has of leaving companions behind i I like that the worst insult the doctor can hurl at them is that they're they're busy blogging which is so very 2007 (laughs) (laughs) if it were today it would be like you're tweeting you all this you're too busy tweeting over there again tweet predates all that so uh, they get inside the silo because they don't have pointed teeth uh, i think there's a flaw in that methodology Let's just put let's just throw it out there. That security feature is is fundamentally flawed. Well, apparently, apparently dentistry doesn't exist there anymore. So they couldn't fix that. Well, uh, someone does get by them, too. One of them gets by. Yeah, I I don't understand what is so um, bad about the future kind. They're not really horrific enough for me. It's like, okay, they're 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 primitive. They have sharp teeth and some of them have facial tattoos and piercings i think it's the cannibalism thing they just they general barbarian barbarian cannibalists yeah but they're like oh it's like the future kind and it's feared that they are what we will become if we stay here longer like there's some sinister mutation occurring it's like guys these are just another tribe they get inside and then uh, when professor yana hears that there's the doctor of everything is there which is how the doctor had apparently described himself he wants the doctor to help him solve this rocket ship problem that he has. And then the doctor says, oh, I don't have a clue about your technology. And then that's that. Like, since when does the doctor not have a clue and just kind of leave it? Of course, he eventually you know, has a one of his brilliant insights because he's a genius. He tells us. So. Well, I like the fact. Of, so even the technology they have available to them is apparently a mix. Some of it's really primitive. Some of it's kind of 20th century or 21st century. And then some of it is reflecting the fact we're at the end of the universe. Stuff has been developed that is beyond the doctor's time. And that's what he's referring to. It's like, I've never been in this era before. I don't know its technology. But he eventually is able to say, okay, no matter what era you're in, reversing something should have the opposite effect. So let's try reversing this thing. They missed the chance for the polarity of the neutron flow, though. They missed the chance. (laughs) I I was waiting for that. I was waiting for that. Professor Yana keeps hearing these uh, drums in his ears, the the sound of the drums, which is going to be uh, a key to this this master and then the John Sim master that's coming up. Uh, It's going to be the key to his identity in, 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 in the show. And and he keeps. T- I love. I was fascinated by the way he's talking about it. It's like there's this noise in my head. It sounds like drums. I'm going. Yeah, that's pulsatile tinnitus. I had that <laughs> yeah. in my right ear for a while. <laughs> this is yeah. totally known medical phenomenon. Right. Exactly. And 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 as we later learned, the da 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 beat from the theme song is also the rhythm of a Time Lord's two heart system. It's exactly what happens in pulsatile tinnitus. Because your heartbeat, you're hearing your your heartbeat in one of your ears. So it's like, okay, I totally can diagnose the condition that's been driving 
the master mad for two or three incarnations. He's just got <laughs> pulsatile tinnitus. And as of 21st century, there is no cure for that. Well, you, you could imagine, though, I mean, it would be annoying enough for over the course of, say, uh, you know, 60, 70, 80 year life. Well, imagine if you live for thousands of years and have to listen to that every moment. Oh, man. <laughs> I can yeah. see why that would drive someone nuts. To, to become the master. Yeah. So uh, th this is about when we find out that Jack has been carrying the doctor's hand around, the one he lost in the sword fight that first Christmas after regenerating, uh, and freaks out Martha with it, and he waves at her with his regenerated yeah, hand. I like that. Hello. Waving his, <laughs> waving his regenerated hand. Still here. <laughs> I mean, she's a doctor. You'd think she'd be used to, you know, body parts, but apparently regenerating ones are, are well, still It's so funny because they're talking about other things, and she's still like, your hand regrew. <laughs> still here yeah <laughs> i'm like a newt <laughs> yeah. right. the tardis is brought in and brought into the uh, professor's lab somehow i'm not sure how they they <laughs> they get it through the door but they do because uh, the doctor doesn't fly it in i think and the the professor is stunned by it and this is the first moment really where i think the his internal uh, self knowledge is starting to, to to bleed through, just like it did with the doctor in Human Nature and Family of Blood. He's starting to those those walls are starting to break down a bit, and so he's stunned by it. We have this radiation room that's very important to the operation of the rocket, the with some kind of couplings, and it disintegrates you if you get too much of the radiation. And this technician is uh, killed; he's disintegrated when one of the future kind that's that's uh, stuck into the facility sabotages it. Presumably, as she's killed, because we never see her again. No, they kill her after that. They the guards come in with machine guns, and she's killed. Well, of course, that's that's the the stereotypical science fiction bad design of oh, we have these ultimate these very very important uh, switches that we have to throw. But of course, instead of having them in the control room where you could just very easily walk over <laughs> and throw them, you have to go into this hazard super hazardous place in a super sci scientific spacesuit throw these switches and of course they stick and it's difficult and right yes and the time's running out yeah that'd be like if you had a uh, a nuclear reactor and you had to physically go in and lift the control rods out of the pool the, well, the cooling pool so so this has actually happened in the history of american nuclear power they're not designed not by design Right. Well, no, by design. Really? Um, there, yeah, there was uh, there's a famous incident where you had these guys in the military. It was an early small nuclear reactor and they had to like lift the control rods out and they had to do it very slowly. I, I, I won't remember all the details, but basically it's a mystery why the guy did this, but you have these three guys there. You have this one guy doing the monitoring and the other two guys working on the reactor. And one guy, instead of slowly pulling the control rod up, just the amount that it was supposed to come up, he just yanked it way up and all of them instantly were irradiated and died before anything else could happen. Their bodies were so contaminated they had the bodies had to be buried as nuclear waste. And it's a mystery. Why did this happen? Was it a suicide attempt? Was it I mean, because you had to physically yank this up. Was it an accident? One of the theories is that because you had this new monitoring guy who was like from a different branch of the service, it's one speculation is the guy who yanked the control rod was like he wanted to yank it up enough to cause a spike on the Geiger counter that the monitoring guy had to make him wet his pants. 
but not mm-hmm. enough to kill everybody. And he just overshot. That is like an attempt to prank this guy and ended up killing all three of them. Worst yeah. prank ever. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah, worst no prank kidding. ever. <laughs> I'm going to make a prank with this deadly nuclear yeah. material. Yeah. Not, not only did not only did you kill everyone, you didn't even you didn't even survive long enough for this guy to to feel any fear. Darwinism. Yeah. Darwinism. So uh, so Jack. So Jack has to go in. We find out that the doctor had abandoned Jack at the, the bad wolf thing because the a man who would not die is wrong. And so he's a fixed point in time. We had talked about that before. And somehow that's something the doctor doesn't want to be around. It's it's just wrong to him or something like that. Uh, never mind the fact that the doctor's constantly regenerating, but I guess that's different. We, we, they, he tells us that Robe had, Rose had absorbed the TARDIS power and gave Jack his immortality. So I, I, I had that detail I forgot. So I just want to make sure I re- reminded folks of that. Yana hmm. is getting, Professor Yana is getting emotional as he he- hears the doctor and Jack talking about all this Time Lord stuff back and forth. He starts crying. There's just a tear coming down his cheek. And I like some of the ways they've been having his identity start to subtly reassert itself. At one point, he's talking, he's going by the name Professor, and he says, even my title is an affectation because there hasn't been a university in a thousand years. And it's like, okay, that's an echo of the fact Master is a self-chosen affectation. And then and then he's uh, the doctor's talking to him about his great achievement, uh, how he's managed to design this rocket that's going to work after all, and he's never he's never been celebrated and 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 Yana says it would have been nice to have a little appreciation, a little admiration. And it's like, yes, that's what the master is all about. And, and just the little clues keep coming through and as he's getting weaker and more irritable and he says at one point no rest for the wicked <laughs> <laughs> right we find out that jack where jack has been we that i didn't mention that is he ended up thrown back in time wasn't it yeah to the 1860s or something yeah and the first time he realized he was immortal was earth 1892 got a fight on ellis island he got shot through the heart and then he woke up uh, then <laughs> later on, he fell off a cliff, trampled by horses during World War One. He was poisoned in World War Two. Although he was also in, he was battle. also in World War Two. But that's when he that was previously in his timeline when he first met the doctor. He died of starvation, a stray javelin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Dying of starvation is hard. He must. You can go for easily more than a month without food mm. if you're a healthy adult. Yeah that that would be unpleasant. <laughs> but it was interesting the way they, they kind of explain out, just kind of hand wave out of why the doctor had not encountered Jack before. And he said, well, you, do you realize how long I had to wait before your timeline, basically your timeline caught up with mine or I caught up with you again? So basically, they just kind of said Jack avoided the doctor until until they, they got right till they got past century. that point yes which is a i mean which would explain then why the doctor i mean why jack went running when he heard the tardis because finally there was a chance that he could now encounter the doctor without crossing the streams there's a, there's also a nice scene in here where martha gets chantho to one side and is talking to her about the chan and tho business and it, it's nice it emerges she doesn't have to say that it's part of her culture it would be rude if she didn't and I wonder since so she's she, her name is Chantho as far as we know 
And I mean, that's what we're told is her name is Chan, though. And she has to say Chan and though. Does everyone in her culture have a two syllable name and they have to say the first syllable at the front of a sentence and the last syllable at the back? That's kind of implied I, I, the way the way she expressed it, where it would be rude not to would imply that at least two syllables, if not you know three or four. But that that was that was how you do it. You start with the first half of your name. You say what you're going to say and then you finish off with your last. Yeah. Kind of like identifying who's talking or something. Maybe they all have the same voice. It's an interesting cultural phenomenon then because you, that idea that you always have to identify who is saying what in any conversation and out of uh, politeness. And I could I could see the value in that. I could see why a culture would develop something like that. Which is why we're going to start doing that on this podcast, right? No. Yes. Uh, said uh, <laughs> Dom. Yes, you're right, Father Corey. Nico. <laughs> no we're, we're not doing that we're not we're doing not that. doing that but i do i do love how how martha gets chantho to not do it just once you know come on do it for me and she says no and then they both break out laughing because she's done this transgressively rude thing <laughs> yeah. you know it's impressive though how that actress could do it you know and keep it and it it, it sounds like um and sound natural doing it was yeah did it just perfectly i mean it wasn't like she had to do retakes 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 it, it sounds like she did it exactly spot on every time I, I i assume it was just written in the script and so she when she learned her lines she just learned them that way and she made it sound natural it is and and i didn't i don't think there were any errors in her performance in that regard although i did notice in her final confrontation once the chameleon watch has been opened she starts dropping the thos as the master, she and the master are talking. And I assume it's because of stress and he's interrupting her and she needs to start a new sentence and says the new Chan to initiate the sentence, but doesn't have time to close off the tho. Right. That's true. That's true. Yeah. He, I mean, he, he, he's, he attacks her because of the he's, you know, he's annoyed by it and attacks her because of that might throw her off, too. Yeah. So so Martha at this point does see his Time Lord watch. She knows what it is. And she reacts with fear. Mm-hmm. Although I, I, I asked myself at the time, why doesn't she assume that Yana is a future incarnation of the doctor who once oh. again doesn't know who he is? Oh, well, uh, that didn't occur to me. I assume she just deduced he's a time lord and wasn't thinking mm-hmm. as four dimensionally as you, Dom, to guess he might be a future doctor. <laughs> yeah. But though that would have been interesting to play with that. Actually, they could have cut out a little bit of of control rod pulling and introduce that as a subplot for a minute. Hey, he's called the professor. Maybe he's you, doctor. But the question is, do do we have any inkling, though, that Martha had the idea of regeneration, what that meant? Because she didn't experience his regeneration into the 10th doctor. Yeah, actually, she's now that I think about it, she betrays some unawareness of the concept. She doesn't know that he regenerates. Because when when Jack previously met the doctor, it was Christopher Eccleston. And he's talking about, oh, I was a different man back then. I had a whole different face and everything. And she's kind of like, huh? You know, she. I mean, the fact that she was just completely blown away with him being able to regenerate his hand after it got cut off. I mean. Right. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's plausible that she would have immediately jumped to the conclusion that this was a different Time Lord because she didn't know that. Oh, by the way, Time Lords can regenerate 
whenever we need to change casting. I mean, whenever there's a death. Yeah. <laughs> all, 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 although they could have retconned it as I think he's you in the future without invoking the idea of regeneration. He's just like an old version of David Tennant. Right, right. But uh, what I assume her fear reaction is, uh, if I were to try to interpret her fear reaction to the chameleon watch, it would be the only time these things get used that I know of is when there's big danger. So we must be in big danger if he's got one of these things. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, he, he he had to go hide as a human for some reason. What was it? You know. And so Yana has this watch and, and it's, he starts like we did in human nature. We hear voices coming from it. Mm-hmm. So we hear and, Anthony- and it's got a perception filter that's kept him from opening it all this time. He's had it, but he hasn't thought anything about it. But it's broken. So why would I open it? So he hears Anthony Ainley's laugh. Then we hear uh, the watch says the drums, the drums, the never ending drum beat. Open me, you human fool. Open the light and summon me and receive my majesty. That's Derek Jacoby's voice. But then we hear Delgado's voice. Destroy him and you will give your power to me. So we, we hit, we're hearing uh, other uh, versions of previous masters of the master. Yeah, we have uh, Jack, uh, Martha and uh, the doctor. They bring up the face of Bo. And and Jack is the one who says to him, you might not be the last one, which is, of course, what the face of Bo says. You are not alone. Right. He's the face of Bo is trying to warn the doctor that the master is still out there. We the doctor figures out what Yana means, <laughs> means yet yet another. Wait, you, you are not you are alone. Not you, alone. You, oh, you are not alone. Right, 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 right. That's what it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> which is a little cheesy, but okay. Yeah, he realizes that Yana is an acronym, which was the master and yeah, the, ma- the master would do things. The master would do things like that. I mean, he we like in Doctor Who and the Demons, the master is portraying himself as a priest named Miss Father Magister, and Magister <laughs> is just Latin for master. Yep. But but was that intended? The you are not alone. Was it a message for himself or for the doctor? I think it would be for himself, know. right? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. So then the the Yana kills Chanto, poor Chanto, as he as he calls himself the master and fully realizes who he is. Yeah, and he's got a little. He becomes as he opens the watch and he regains his memories. He his acting turns. Mm-hmm. You know, he's oh, yeah. not as nice. And he is having a kind of a bad moment as he's (laughs) reassimilating all of his and realizes I've been stuck like this for 17 years. And and he starts to blame Chantho for it. It's like, didn't you ever I've had this watch this whole time. Didn't you ever think to open it and release me? And of course, she had no way of of knowing it would release him. Right. Right. Typical bad guy blaming everyone else. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it is one of the symptoms of psychopathy. It's on the PCLR checklist and inability to accept responsibility. That would be the master to a T. So he, he uh, turns off the security for the silo base, lets the future kind in and there they get all running around in there. Yeah, he flips a switch and suddenly they can get past a padlock. <laughs> well, maybe he was electrified. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> it looked like a, you're keeping out this primitive tribe with a chain link fence that you've locked with a padlock. Exactly. So, yeah. And then uh, the master gets shot by Chanto, who's as uh, she's dying, and and he manages to get into the TARDIS. Go Chanto. She is. She is. Mm-hmm. You know, really for have for having spent years with this guy. And having been having fancied him, quote unquote, 
she she recognizes the threat he is and is willing to deal with it at great personal cost or mm -hmm. revenge. <laughs> yeah, I didn't take it that way. From I hell's thought, heart, I stab at thee. You know, you know, I didn't get a con vibe from her. <laughs> no, 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 that was more more defense. Yeah, more self-defense. Yeah. Uh, the doctor yells that everything has changed, uh, which from his point of view, yes, everything like that's what that that twist moment when you realize how everything is different. The the Utopia rocket takes off. Yeah. The master regenerates just as the doctor get, uh, gets to the, the lab. The TARDIS, uh, he sees the regeneration uh, glow through the window. Yeah, he also. So at this point, the master has taken the hand of the doctor, the disembodied hand in the container, and gone into the TARDIS and locked himself in the TARDIS so the doctor can't get in, and that's where he regenerates. And he regenerates, and he's still talking to the doctor and kind of taunting him because the doctor like it, it wants to say, hey, it's the two of us. We're the last. We can work yep. this out. The master is talking back and saying like, oh, let's have a nice little chat so you can learn all my plans and figure out how to defeat them. I don't think so. And Martha, Martha says, I know that voice. And she knows that is. But she doesn't Harold. know where yet. Right. She recognizes Harold Saxon's voice, who's the prime minister of England, but back home from where she came from. But, but she doesn't well, recognize when she, it. When she was when she left, he was being elected. It. Right. Yeah. Had, right. Was not yet the prime not minister. Not yet assumed office. And and then you have this kind of tug of war technologically over the TARDIS where the master is trying to take off and the doctor is doing stuff with the screwdriver and he fails. Yes. And the TARDIS <gasps> boom, boom, boom. leaves while stranding Dr. Jack and Martha at the end of the universe. Being attacked by the future kind. Yes. And that's the end of the Doctor Who series. And that's the last episode, folks. Thanks for listening. No, just kidding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the future kind break in and eat them all and. No, they get they die at the end of the universe. No, it's, yeah. it's to be continued, which is will be next week when we're actually. So just to let you know, we're going to be we're not going to do our jumping back and forth at this point in this season. Next week, we're going to continue to the next part where we'll do sound of drums and then we'll, well we, do we've the, lost the TARDIS. So we, we can't jump back to earlier doctors. <laughs> we we have to right. follow this one out. <laughs> we get the TARDIS back. That's right. That's right. No, we wouldn't make you wait two weeks to talk about the, the other parts. Otherwise, it'd, it'd be it'd be like six weeks before we were done. Right. Right. So we want to move right along. So any uh, any other notes about this episode? Uh, I guess where we move on to feedback. Only thing I had just a stray thought as I was watching the opening credits, because in this era of the show, they've colorized the time vortex so that it's either red or blue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's just struck me that they should have coordinated red and blue with going into the future or the past. So it's like hmm. the Doppler effect, because in, in real life, if, if something's rushing towards you, like the Andromeda galaxy is towards the Milky Way, the light is blue shifted because it gets scrunched up due to the Doppler effect. And if a galaxy, if something's moving away from you, like most galaxies are, the light is red shifted because it's stretched out. And they sh and if if you're going with a time vortex and it's either red or blue, you should it, it should like always be red when you're heading into, say, the past and always blue when you're heading into the future or vice versa. And it's kind of a missed opportunity. You notice they did something much like that with the jump gates in Babylon 5, whether it's an incoming jump gate or an outgoing jump oh, gate sure, is affected sure. by color. Uh, one interesting note about this uh, episode is uh, 
they were going to use where they had the the previous masters from the watch. You could hear their voices, or at least Anthony Ainley's laugh. Uh, they were going to have a clip from Eric Roberts, the Doctor oh. Who TV movie uh, master, it, which who gave permission, but Fox would not, so they didn't use oh. it. Stupid Fox. Yeah. <laughs> by the, by the way, Eric Roberts has for the first time in however many 20 plus years now mm-hmm. has returned to the role of the master. Wow. Um he was he was in the most recent River Song uh anthology uh, from Big Finish along with Derek Jacobi and uh Michelle Gomez, oh the other one who's really good but I'm blanking on the burned up master, the second burned up master. Is that that Christopher Beaver? Christopher Beavers, yeah. But Eric, it was nice to have Eric Roberts doing a script as the master, and he's like totally reasonable. He is not over the top cackling supervillain. They they've given him a reasonable script where he, in for the first big chunk of it, he you don't recognize he's he's the master uh, unless That's you funny. know. It's like who's this totally reasonable guy who's a decent father? It's just like uh, John Sim at the end of Peter Capaldi era, the, mm-hmm. the, those last couple episodes where he wasn't the crazy sound of drums Harold Saxon master, but the much much calmer, more reasonable, still evil <laughs> master. Mm-hmm. So, interesting. Yep. Yeah. Anything, yet, Father Corey? Nope. Nothing here. So let's uh, get some feedback. We had some some pretty good feedback this time on our discussion on Kinda. We had our friend Lindsay Sant, the host. One of the co-hosts of Catholics of Oz is a oh. fan of the show, and he lives in Australia, as you might guess from the name Catholics of Oz. He, uh, oh, good day. He was able to give us some feedback on Dreamtime and the Aboriginal uh, uh, viewpoints and what they might have uh, taken from that for that episode. So uh, he says, Dreamtime refers to the creation of everything we know that has come into being. The Aboriginal religion believes that ancestor spirits roam the earth in the Dreamtime living and hunting and creating other animals, insects, or even becoming land features such as Uluru in Alice Springs, also called Ayers Rock. Mm-hmm. The dream time, however, is not believed to be a fixed point in time. It is every when, meaning it embraces the past, present, and future all at once. It continues today in the dreaming through indigenous Australian spiritual connections to the land, their dances, chants, etc., which brings the spirituality of the dreaming into life today. Lastly, Dreamtime is a word coined by non-Indigenous Australians as a one-size-fits-all term to try and summarize their understanding of a very complex Indigenous spirituality. Many are seeing the term as insufficient because different Aboriginal groups have different words for their spiritualities and mythology. That that all sounds very familiar, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, kind of, kind of, kind of like here in North America. For Native Americans, people would talk about medicine meaning any form of magic or religious practice. Right. Well, it, it, there's still kind of there's kind of a generic Native American spirituality, which I can tell you just, you know, from experiencing some of it out on the, the reservation here, that even the two tribes that are on our reservation here, there's differences in their spiritualities. Yeah, it would be like saying all Protestants, you know, believe this and there's a variety of things. So, But thank you, Lindsay. That's uh, fascinating. And we yeah. appreciate you uh, informing us and the audience. Uh, more about that. And then on uh, episode 119 on human nature, Bennett Gillespie sends us a Facebook comment. He said, I went back and listened to the accent. We discussed how David Tennant changed his accent between between his yeah. normal accent that he right. did for the doctor and the one he used for the professor. And he said he listened to the accent and he, he has changed it very slightly, 
making it a little posher. Received pronunciation, I believe is the term. It used to be very common in broadcasting, less challenging for you than Jody's accent. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> he isn't aiming at royalty, but closer to how maybe a senior army officer might potentially speak, a professional. And then he said, incidentally, I expect you knew that in a boarding school, a beating, quote unquote, often referred to a few strikes with a ruler or a cane. That's potentially shocking for hmm. viewers from 2019, but I'm of the age to have received both from teachers while I was a child at quite an average school, i.e. not posh nor boarding. Boarding schools are often portrayed in media much like the Lord of the Flies because the older children had quite a lot of independent authority over the younger students. So a, oh. a beating is not a, you know, a full on thrashing. It's it. OK, that, so it's, it's kind of like that the, makes the more sense from from Catholic school of the nuns and rulers kind of along that line where it's just a little slap on the wrist uh, yeah, or something a like smack that. on the knuckles yeah. or that wears across the butt. And and I am of an age that. These were actually still done when I was in school, although they were sort of on the way out because it was the 70s and things were starting to get crazy. But back then, it, they would have been, at least where I was, they would have been called paddlings right. because they were administered with a paddle. And so if they had said permission to give him a paddling, I was like, oh, OK, fine. I understand what's happening. But permission <laughs> to give him a beating, it's like, whoa. <laughs> right. Totally different cultural resonances. Yes, yes. Thank you, Bennett and Lindsay, for your uh, your insights that help us. But as yeah. we close out, I, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who. And today we're going to thank by name uh, Paul B, Les H, Andrew G, Ricardo G, and John S. It's through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give. That makes it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows we do at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. Uh, like Lindsay and Bennett did, do you have something you'd like to contribute? Some insights or questions or anything else you'd like to say about our discussion here of uh, this episode of Utopia? You can, let, you can let us know. You can send us your feedback by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave us feedback there, or you can send an email to Doctor Who at sqpn.com we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing uh like i said we'll be discussing the 10th doctor story the the continuation of this the sound of drums until then father Corey stika thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of doctor who i'm glad to be here and thank you dom and jimmy aiken thank you as well thank you very much dom and once again i'm dom bettinelli thank you for listening to the secrets of doctor who on starquest and remember time lord last of heard of them legend or anything not even a myth Blimey, the end of the universe is a bit humbling. Right. This is gonna be fun.